This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. Hey, it's Sunday fun day. Who's excited? I am so glad to be with you today. If we haven't had a chance to meet yet, my name is Kevin. I'm the lead pastor here at New Life, and I have the privilege of guiding us for the next 35 minutes or so. And we're talking about something today that I would, I would say it's safe to assume, although we're going to check my hypothesis in a minute, it's safe to assume that every single one of us, whether you're here today and you would say, yeah, I'm a Jesus follower, or nope, I'm brand new to this whole Christianity thing. Thank you very much. Brand new, stay brand new to this whole Christianity thing, I'm guessing this is something that we all intuitively want. And what I'm going to do today is talk to us about how to get to where we want to go, from where we are today with something we all really want to where we all really want to go. And in order to get us on the same page, I want to uh, guide you to two things that are inside your program. And when you walked in, you should have grabbed one of these. If you didn't, there's some extras on the back. Go ahead and grab one. But go ahead and open up your program. On the inside, you're going to want to grab this card that says start here. And we have everybody fill this out every week because I give everyone a chance to do something with it throughout our time together. So if you put your name on that right now, and if you're a guest with us today, you just put your email address on it and you don't have to do anything with it yet. But if I've earned your trust over the next 35 minutes or so, a little bit later, some baskets will be passed, and I'll just ask you to drop this card into the basket. It's a connection card. It just helps us stay connected to you, and you stay connected to us, and and we want to help you connect with the things we're doing in the city. But more than that, when the time comes that you're ready to take some next steps in your faith, we want to be the church that helps you take those next steps. We want to partner with you, and this card is just a way to help us do that. So go ahead and get that filled out. There's some free resources we're giving out this week, and you're going to want to have this card filled out so you can take advantage of those. The other thing you want are these teaching notes. They've got the Bible story we're looking at today. Uh, they've got some other things on there. A quick note, uh, I have the wrong reference on there. It says Luke. We're actually going to be in the book of John today. So if you're looking on your mobile device, it's going to be John chapter 6. If you have, if you're old school, kicking it old school with your Bible, you can open up to John chapter 6. That's where we're going a little bit later. But what I want to do right now is I want to test my hypothesis because I believe that we all want some certain things, that you and I aren't that different. We all have some things in common. In order to do that, we're going to take a little self-evaluation on these teaching notes. So at the top of it, there's a question says, how would you like to be remembered? And I give you two categories, the one on the left and the one on the right. And I want you just to circle the words you'd like to be remembered for and leave the other ones blank. So go ahead and take a minute and and fill that out. And we're not going to make you raise your hand or anything. This is just for you, a little self-assessment. How would you like to be remembered? All right, once you fill that out, just, just stare blankly at me. Then I'll know you're ready. Okay. Okay. All right. Good. Excellent. That's a very blank stare. Good job. We're getting, yeah, we're getting close. I see that blank stare. All right, good. I think we're ready. Okay. Now, my guess is that every single one of us only circle things on the right. My guess is none of us said, I really want to be stingy. That's how I want to be remembered. I want to be remembered for being closed-fisted. Boy, I want to be remembered for being self-focused. It's all about me. Watch out for the world revolving around my head. I want to be remembered for not doing anything. I don't think any of us wants that, no matter where you're coming in today. My guess is everyone of us circled everything on the right. We want to be remembered for being generous. 
We want to be open-handed. We want to be others-focused. It's not so much about me, but it's about what God wants to do in us. It's about we. I would guess that we all want to leave a legacy. We want to be remembered for doing something that matters in our lives. And whether you're here today, it's your first time or your hundredth time, I would guess we probably have that in common. And did you notice what it, what it spells if you circled everything on the right? I, I was pretty proud of myself when I realized that. Good. It spells, that's the good life. G-O-O-D. Generous, open-handed, others-focused, and we did something. I had to figure out the last one to make it work, but we did it, baby. We intuitively know that that is the good life. That's the kind of life we want to live. We want to live a life of generosity. We want to live a life on purpose for a purpose. And we're in the series right now that we're calling Me to We. And if you're brand new to New Life, here's something you need to know. It's a core belief that we have. We believe that there is a God, and he's, he's a personal God. He's like a personal, powerful, present, all-loving, heavenly Father. He's not so much like a, a distant dad, an absent father, but like a personal, loving, heavenly Father. We believe that God moved heaven and earth, that he did everything needed to be done to break down every barrier that would keep you and I from encountering God and experiencing God's great love. We just celebrated communion, which is when we remember that Jesus left heaven and came to earth, and he gave his life on a cross to break down the barriers that kept us from God so that we could experience God's great love. And because of that, we as a church believe that we should be doing everything we can to break down every barrier that would keep the cities that we love from encountering a God that loves them. And so we're in this series called Me to We because we've identified at the beginning of this year, we identified some barriers that are building up in our distance. And if we're not careful, those barriers are going to keep the people that we love in our cities from encountering a God who loves them. And so this whole series is about how we can leverage our resources, specifically our finances, to break down the barriers that are keeping our city from encountering a God that loves them. And so I want to tell you right now, if you're brand new with us, we are in a, a generosity series. Now, before you grab your wallet and back away, don't worry. I'm not going to ask you to give anything or do anything right now. If you're brand new with us, you just get to have an inside peek into what we believe it looks like as a community to love God so much and to love our cities, our coworkers, our kids, our neighbors so much that it compels us to leverage some of our finances for the sake of of reaching our city. Because one of our dreams as a church is that we would become the most generous church in Sonoma County. That in this gathering of 600 people or so that meets every week, that we would give generously a million dollars in general giving to break down barriers to help us reach our city. And so you get to kind of have an inside peek into what we're, we're doing. And today we're talking about what it looks like to be that generous church because we all intuitively know that we want to do it. We want to be known as people who are open-handed, others-focused. We want to leave a legacy. We want to be generous. But here's the tension, and here's how it's hard for us to get from where we are to where we want to be. Even though we want to be generous, we rarely feel like we have enough, and here's the key word, extra, enough extra resource to practice radical generosity. And I feel the same tension that you do. Because here's the deal. As our income goes up, our style of living also goes up. That's why when you got your first paycheck, when you were a teenager living at home and it was $100, boy, you felt like you had so much money in the world. You thought, how can I possibly spend $100? Why? Because mom and dad were taking care of everything else. And now you find yourself, you're a thousand heir. Some of you are tens of thousands of heirs. Some of you are hundreds of thousands 
of heirs. And you're wondering, where'd all the money go? Why? Because as your income goes up, as my income goes up, our, our cost of living goes up. We get married, cost of living. We have kids, cost of living. We have tastes that go up, cost of living goes up. I was talking to a friend of mine. He's a, a 20-something, and he and his fiance were part of New Life for a number of years. They just moved down to San Diego uh, because the only place that really competes with Petaluma is San Diego. So they moved down to San Diego, and he called me up, and he said, Kevin, I want, I want to begin practicing radical generosity. I want to start giving the first 10% of my income back to my church because they found a great church in San Diego. Uh, and, and he said, this, I know this is what God wants me to do. I want to start doing that. But I feel this tension. He said, I'm making more money than I ever have in my life. My fiance is making more money than she ever has in her life. We, we don't have any kids yet. We're just looking at marriage right now. He said, but I, I feel like I still don't have enough money to start practicing generosity. Here's what I said to him, and this was great because he doesn't come to New Life, so there's no weird tension around talking about giving to this church. I said, listen, as your friend, I want to tell you, you're never going to feel like you have enough to practice the generosity that you want to do. So I would say you're the best place ever to start giving that 10% and start doing it. And he, he texted me later because he had to think about that because that's a big stab. He said, you know what? I'm going to do it. I'm going to try. But we never feel like we have enough. So today what I want to do is I want to talk about one of the, the key words when it comes to really following God in every area of our life, and this isn't just about resources, this topic is key to having the marriage that you were created to have. It's key to raising your kids the way that, that, that God desired for you to do that. This, this topic we're talking about today is key to, to having success in the workplace and to being an impact in your neighborhood, but it's especially important when it comes to generosity, when we feel like we never have enough. And here's the word. The word is sacrifice. We get to talk about sacrifice today. And I know what some of you are thinking. You're thinking, oh, that's a negative word. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to rebrand that word today because I think sacrifice is actually a really positive word. Here's how I would define sacrifice. Sacrifice is just giving up something you love for something you love even more. We all do this all the time. We just don't think of it like sacrifice. Think back to when you were single. You could do what you want, when you wanted, with who you wanted, you were autonomous. You didn't have to check with anybody, but you sacrificed that. You gave it up for marriage, something you loved even more. Because I can tell you, if you do what you want, when you want, with who you want, without checking in with anybody, and you're married right now, pretty soon it won't be a sacrifice because you'll be single again. <laughs> when you had kids, you gave up something you loved. I'm talking about sleep. <laughs> for something you loved even more that eating, pooping, spitting up, pile of joy. <laughs> Listen, some of you, you're on that diet right now. You're sacrificing Ben and Jerry's, something you love, to fit into that swimsuit, something you love even more. Sacrifice. It's simply giving up something we love for something that we love even more. And here's the great thing about, okay, I'm just going to pause right now because I waited too long to say this. I want you guys to say this with me with a smile on your face. Say, sacrifice. Sacrifice. Sacrifice is not a bad word. Sacrifice is a really good word because it's giving up something we love for something we love even more. And here's the good news. When we talk about sacrifice in the context of following God, it's always worth it. It's always worth it. And we're going to talk about what that looks like today through the story of a little boy. We find a story in the book of John, which is one of the four biographies of Jesus' life. You can find it in the New Testament of the Bible, where Jesus has an interaction with a boy who sacrifices something he loves for the sake of something he loves 
even more. In John chapter 6, verse 1, it says this. Sometime after this, after Jesus was teaching and healing people, he crossed over to the far shore in the Sea of Galilee, and then it gives us some context. That's the Sea of Tiberias. And a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he performed by healing people who were sick. Now, I said way back on week one of this series that people flocked to Jesus, that people who were nothing like Jesus liked Jesus because Jesus knocked down barriers that kept people from encountering God. And that's exactly what's happening here. You know, we've got this flu bug going around right now. You've heard about this, right? Uh, It's contagious. It's pretty contagious. Um, Have you ever gone up to someone and said, just in, you know, conversation, you're chatting, and you say, oh, by the way, my kids are home with the flu. What do they do? They go, hmm, that's nice, right? They just, but then they're like, oh, I probably shouldn't have done that, so they inch forward, but then they hold their breath while they're talking to you and try to plug any way that anything could get in, you know? It's like, why? Because it's contagious, and they don't want to get sick, and they don't want to get their kids sick, and I guarantee you, the minute you turned around, they ran to the bathroom, and they were scrubbing like they were a doctor, ready to go, because... They don't want to get that flu. It's nasty. Well, in the time when Jesus walked on this earth, the people in Jesus' day, the Jewish community, they thought that every sickness was contagious like the flu. And so anytime anyone was sick, whether it was the flu or something something more serious and long-lasting, that person was outcast in their community. The Jewish people ran away from them. They pulled away from them to the extent that if you had a long-term illness, you would have to walk around. And whenever you were around other people, you would have to scream out with your head down, I'm unclean, I'm unclean. I mean, don't, don't get around me, I'm contagious. And everyone would run from you, but here's why people who were nothing like Jesus liked Jesus. He didn't run from people who were sick, he ran to people who were sick, and he put his hands on them, and he healed them, and he would touch their face and their, their eyes and their mouth, that germ hole, everything's coming out, and he would, he would bless them, and he would heal them. And boy, don't we want to be the kind of church that doesn't run from people who are hurting and who are sick. We want to be the church that runs to people. We want to break down barriers so that people who are nothing like Jesus can encounter Jesus. And that's exactly what's happening here. This huge crowd's gathering around Jesus because he's running to them instead of pulling away. And verse 3 says, Jesus went up on a mountainside and he sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. That was a major Jewish holiday. And the context is Jewish people from all over the known world were coming to a central location. Verse 5, when Jesus looked up, he saw a great crowd coming towards him. And he said to Philip, one of his followers, where should we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him because he already had in mind what he was going to do. And Philip answered Jesus and said, it would take more than a half year's wages to buy enough bread for each person coming to have even one bite. And I love the subtext that the author gives us in verse 6. It says Jesus was just testing him because he already knew exactly what he was going to do. Because when it comes to resources, God is a lot different than us. See, God has abundant resources. God has all the money. He has all the property. He has all the food. He has everything he needs to do what he wants. One of the perks of being God is he could have done anything and fed those people anytime. And he was testing Philip. And I want you to put a little note. It's not, there's not space, but just say God has abundant resources because sometimes we forget that. We forget that God has all the resources in the universe at his disposal. And we assume that God is like us, that God has limited resources, 
And we're smart people, so we take that to its logical next step. If God is God and God has limited resources, then I have really limited resources. And when we think that we have limited resources because we serve a God who has limited resources, do you know what it does? It makes us feel like we never have enough, and we close our fists up so that nothing can flow from us. We begin to have this fill-up mindset that says, how on earth, God, could you do what you're asking us to do? We can't do it. You don't have the resource. We don't have the resource. But when we remember that God has unlimited resources, and when we remember that, that we're part of God's family and that God actually flows his resources through us, it gives us the opportunity to have open hands and say, God, I want you to, to flow the resources through my hands to the cities that you love. Because we know that God's got abundant resources behind us and he can just keep feeding those resources right through us as we open our hands. And I'm going to say something right now that you may or may not agree with, and that's okay. The truth is, if you came to a church only because you agreed with everything the pastor said all the time, I would challenge you, you're at the wrong church. You need to be at a church where you're challenged to think deeply and to broaden your perspective. But I want you to try this on for size. I truly believe as I read through the Bible that God does not need our money. He doesn't need our money, but he invites us to practice increasing generosity because it shapes our heart and it shapes our priorities. He doesn't need it. He asks us to practice increasing generosity because it shapes our heart and our priorities. And I love watching this happen in people's lives. And I want to show you a video testimony of a gal in our church named Angela as she stepped out and experienced God's faithfulness when she took steps of faith trusting him and practicing increasing generosity. Take a look at her story. So I'm a single mom. I've been divorced since my daughter was a year and a half old. For the first four years of her life, she came to work with me, and it was a really wonderful situation, even though it was, uh, it was a struggle, but it was wonderful. And then when I got laid off, I decided to become a full-time student. And I did that for a while, working on a dental hygiene career. Um, when I got engaged, my fiancé moved in so that he could help us through school. And then uh, when he and I split up, he, um, I didn't have any income, really, except for a very, very part-time job, waiting tables. And, uh, and so I chose to rent out two rooms to teenagers in the foster care system who are transitioning into adulthood. And uh, my daughter moved into my bedroom with me. During that time, my mother encouraged me to start tithing 1% of my income. And uh, I didn't really have anything extra, but I went ahead and did that. I remember texting my mother one night, I don't know how I'm going to keep on tithing. I can barely scrape together 3% to give away. You know, we're really, really pinching pennies here, and how am I ever supposed to get to 10%? And she said, it's okay, just keep doing it. And she didn't ask me any details. She just said, just keep doing it. And uh, so I wrote my next check, and I moved forward. Throughout all of this, I increased my tithe to 5%, even though that was a really big stretch for me. And, uh, and I just hoped that God would show up and make it work. Uh, I'd always been a generous person, but I'd never been a regular giver. I didn't grow up with tithing or anything like that, so it was really 
it was really a big leap of faith for me to commit to that kind of financial obligation. But I kept on doing it. And then uh, one day my boss took me outside and sat me down and said that, uh, that she really valued my work and she wanted to give me a substantial raise, effective immediately. And it was immediate alleviation of all of my financial burdens in that moment. Um, I think that I'm excited to see what he's going to do next now that I've been able to increase my tithe to 10%. And I would want everybody to take that leap of faith, not for the church, not even necessarily for what it does, but just just to see how he shows up because what I've found is that I it's increased my my eternal perspective and I think that when you when you give in that kind of a way and you test God in that kind of a way what he does to alleviate your burdens and what he does to kind of show up it comes through other people and when you see that lining up in all of these other people who may or may not know God, but are somehow being obedient to Him, it it really increases your eternal perspective. It kind of lays it all out and shows how just how big He is. And that's exciting. That's really exciting. That's something to get really excited about. I'm so blessed. And I'm so grateful and... I want that for everybody. I want everybody to get there. I love Angela's story. She, she shared with me as this process was happening of, of giving 1%, then 3 then 5 then up to 10 She shared with me one day something that just inspired me. She said, Kevin, uh, I decided to start giving 10%, and that means I'm probably going to have to move out of the place I'm living and my daughter and I are going to move into a trailer at our parents' property, and we're going to, we're going to live there for a while. And then she came a few weeks later, and she said, you, you're never going to believe what happened. A big smile on her face. She said, my boss called me in, and they don't give raises at this time of the year, but they said, you're doing such a great job. We want to give you a, a raise. And it was a substantial raise, and now we can stay in the house we're living at. And then her boss came to her not that long ago and said, you know what? We want to help pay for the rest of your schooling so that you can work for us and go to school and then have a job afterwards in an uncertain economy. And I'm telling you, this is what I love about it. She took steps of faith, and God showed his faithfulness, and she grew he grew her faith in him. And that's what she wants for you. That's what I want for all of us. Because don't we all want to grow in our faith? We want to grow. We want to take next steps. But here's the thing I realized. Um, I hurt my back a few weeks ago, digging a hole for my kids at the beach. Dad life, you know? It's like, oh, and I was done. So, so, so I know it's embarrassing. Yeah, 35 going on 80. Um, and so some friends said, get one of these balls. It'll strengthen your core, you know? You gotta, you're weak. You got a weak core. So I got one of these balls. And here's the thing about the ball. It says, inflate it and then wait 24 hours because the rubber has to stretch and then deflate it and inflate it again. And then it'll get to the full size. It'll grow to the level it's supposed to. So we inflated it. The rubber stretched. We deflated it and did it. And now it's at the, the size it's supposed to be. And can I say this? So many of us want to, we want to grow our faith. And God uses the same pattern that this ball does. 
Say, God, grow my faith, grow my faith. And so God says, okay, I'm going to grow your faith. But before I can grow it to the size that I want it to be, I've got to stretch you a little bit. And that stretching is tough. That stretching is hard. But I'm telling you, the stretching is necessary for the growing. And this is what I would say. Whenever you're saying to God, God, grow my faith, grow my faith. And then you get to a part of the Bible that feels like, oh, I don't know about that. That stretches me. Or maybe you come and you hear a sermon series that says, I don't know, that's tough. That stretches me. It could be that God's about to grow your faith, but before he can grow your faith, he's got to stretch you a little bit. And maybe in our culture, nothing stretches us as much as taking steps of giving away money. It stretches us, but God uses it to to grow our faith. And this is what God does with this little boy. He stretches him. And then he grows him. And here's where we pick up the boy's story in verse 8 of John chapter 6. It says, another of the disciples, a guy named Andrew, who was Peter's brother, spoke up. He said, well, there's this boy and he's got five small barley loaves, five loaves of bread, and he's got two small fish. But how far will that go? And just picture the scene. Jesus is on a mountain. We're about to find out that there are 5,000 men there. They've got wives and kids, probably about 15,000 people gathered around. And they find this one boy with a sack lunch. He's got five loaves of bread and two small fish. And and this grown-up says to him, hey, kid, can we have it? Can we have it? Now for us, giving away a lunch is no big deal, right? A lot of us skip lunch all the time. You take lunch to work and you leave it in the refrigerator at your office and now it's going bad, right? First world problems. We get so busy, we forget our lunch. It's just sitting there going bad. But that wasn't the case for this boy. For this boy, his lunch was everything. He may have traveled miles and miles to be here. Who knows when he's going to get more food? And this grown-up says to him, kid, 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 give me your lunch. He's got a decision to make. Is he going to give his lunch? Some of it? Maybe he can cut off some of the fish heads and give him the lunch or some of the tails the edge of the bread. No one likes the heel. Give him the heel. Or he could give him everything. And this boy decides to give everything. And for him, that is a huge sacrifice. For you and I, that wouldn't be a sacrifice at all. But for this boy, it's a huge sacrifice. Can I talk to you for a second about this generosity jumpstart we're doing? What I'm inviting us to do is engage with God in such a way that we would ask God, what would my next step in generosity look like that would be a sacrifice for me? Because what's sacrifice for me might not be a sacrifice for you, and what's a sacrifice for you might not be a sacrifice for me. We're not a club. We don't do dues at the church. What we do is we engage with God and say, God, what do you want to do through me to reach our city? What's sacrifice look like for me? Because I believe God is inviting each of us to pray and consider what our individual next step in giving sacrificially looks like. What it looks like to love God so much and to love our city so much that we would say, God, would you leverage some of my resources for the city that you love? For some of us who have never practiced generosity within the church, your step of sacrifice could be giving regularly for the first time, just giving something regularly. For some of us, it could be giving a certain percentage, like my friend Angela did, starting with 1% or 3% or 5%. For some of us, sacrifice will look like bringing the full 10% that God, that God invites us to in the Old and New Testament of the Bible, bringing that first 10% back to him. For some of us who already give 10%, that's not a sacrifice. God might be inviting us to become extravagant givers and give beyond that 10%. But I don't know what sacrifice looks like for you, but I'm asking you, would you pray over the next few weeks before our Commitment Sunday and ask God, God, what sacrifice look like for me? Because our goal, and this is a big goal, is that we would be a church that's so generous that we would give a million dollars in general giving. 
By the way, 5% of that goes straight to local and global outreach to serve in our cities. Other parts go indirectly to reach in our cities. A ton of it goes towards us being the kind of community that can, that can hire enough staff and build out this place in a way that it breaks down barriers to reach our cities. But that's a huge goal for us. And you might be thinking, well, what is my, what's my five fish and what's my two pieces of bread going to do in the light of a million dollars? Can I tell you, God can do a lot through a very little. Look what happens. Verse 10 says that Jesus said, Had the people sit down because there was plenty of grass in that place. And they sat down. There were about 5,000 men, which remember makes about 15,000 probably total crowd, women and children. Then Jesus took the loaves and gave thanks and distributed them to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same thing with the fish. And when they had all had enough to eat, they were filled up. He said to his disciples, gather the leftover pieces and let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them up and they filled 12 basketfuls of extra barley loaves that had been left over. See, when God takes what we give him, he multiplies it by 15,000 with a remainder of 12. That's the way God likes to work it. He took this boy's generosity and he did a miracle. And how cool is it, church? And again, if you're visiting with us today, just you get a sneak peek. But I want to talk to those of us who call New Life home. How cool is it, church, that God wants to do the same miracle through us? Take your resource and my resource and put them together and do miracles, miracles through what only he can do by taking our everyday stuff, our money. Look how the story ends. This is what I want for us and for our cities. It says, after the people saw the sign that Jesus performed with the bread and with the fish, they said, surely this man is a prophet who has come into the world. The people praised God and they put their trust in him. And we're inviting God to do the same thing, aren't we? We're inviting God to take what we offer and to do miracles. Why? So that our cities would put their trust in God who loves them and they would praise God because of the work that he's doing. Think about it. We're asking God to take everyday ordinary stuff, cash, dollar bills, and do extraordinary things with it. We're asking God, God, take, take my money and save marriages with it as people come and they encounter you. God, take this money, this ordinary stuff, this paper that I've got sitting in a bank account somewhere that, that kind of makes me feel comfortable, but it's never really enough anyway. Just take it and use it to reach the next generation, God. Do a miracle, because the truth is, every generation, we're seeing a decrease in the next generation coming to know Jesus and having a vibrant relationship with him. Every generation is decreasing, and now they're saying 20-somethings are the lowest ever. But I look around this room, and I want you to look around this room, and look who we have in this room. We have young people, 34 and under. Young people. We have young people. <laughs> we, have, we have young work. God's doing a miracle. God's doing a miracle. And he's using our church to reach the next generation. Are you kidding me? He's doing miracles with everyday stuff, with everyday stuff. We're asking God to take our money and to help people grow in their understanding of their unique calling and purpose. We're asking God to take our money and to build orphanages around the world so that children who are left on street corners can be cared for. Build schools, build churches, Train pastors, build houses, use our ordinary stuff to change lives. We're asking God to use ordinary stuff and help people break addictive patterns that have been trapping them and wrecking their lives so that they can live with fewer regrets because they came to know God who changed everything. We're asking God to do the same thing 
in 2015 that he did 2,000 years ago with some fish and some bread. And it makes me so excited that we get to take this journey together. And as we wrap up, I want to talk about some practical ways that we could sacrifice because sacrifice is such a great thing. It's just giving up something we love for something we love even more. So here's a few ways that we could sacrifice that I think could be very fun so that we can become more generous because the truth is we never have lots of extra until we sacrifice. How about this one? Get on a budget. Get on a budget. That's a great way to start this journey. Your money is going somewhere every single month. Why not tell your money where to go? And if you have no idea how to get on a budget, we have a resource for you. We're doing uh, some budgeting basics. So grab your Connect card on the back. I want to show you something. Our worship pastor is also our finance pastor, and he's putting on three budgeting workshops. The first one is tomorrow, uh, the 4th. And if you go tomorrow, may the 4th be with you. Uh, It's going to be a great one every year, baby. I love it. May the 4th be with you. You'll get it. One on Monday, one on Wednesday, one on Saturday. It's free, and we're just helping you figure out how to budget so you can tell your money where to go. If you want to do that, mark the one you want to come to so we can create space for you for that. Get on a budget. It will help you immensely. It'll help you immensely. You will save money just by telling your money where to go. The next one is this. Consider giving up something small for an entire year. When I got on a budget, it was amazing to me to realize how much money I was spending on small stuff. So here's just a few small things you can give up for a year in order to practice increasing generosity. Maybe you want to go on a clothes buying freeze for a year. Listen, I can tell you, plaid shirts have been in for a long time. They'll be in as long as I'm preaching. I could stop buying plaid shirts right now for a year and still be in good shape in 12 months. Maybe you want to go on a clothes buying freeze for a year. That's something small that could be a great impact. Maybe you you want to decide, you know what, I'm going to stop eating out on my lunch break, and I'm just going to take a sack lunch with me to work. Just think about the amount of money you'd save there. Maybe you want to start making coffee at home instead of going out to Starbucks every morning on your way to work. You could save five bucks a day right there. Maybe for a year you cancel your wine membership. I don't mean to meddle. I'm just saying, like, (laughs) listen, listen, you've got plenty of wine in your storage right now. I know that because you're not at the 11 o'clock service. They don't have any more wine left. They were drinking all last night, but you guys are, you're good, right? You're good. <laughs> give up that wine membership just for a year. You can get back in. They'll give you a special bonus when you come back, I'm sure. Something small. Or how about this? You like your small stuff. That's fine. Keep the small stuff. What if you gave up one big thing next year? You don't take that vacation you were planning on taking. Keep the small stuff. Just get rid of one big thing. Hold off on buying that car for 12 months. Don't buy that new set of golf clubs or, or something that you like, I don't know, for, for a year. Those are just a few ideas. Give up a small thing over a long period of time or give up one big thing. But you're creative. You, you can think of something. In fact, if you're in a life group, I'm encouraging our life groups to brainstorm what we could sacrifice for a year in order to practice generosity. It's going to be so fun because we're just talking about giving up something we love for something we love even more. And if you're new with us today, I want to talk to you for a second as we wrap our time up together about this idea of sacrificial giving. Because the truth is it didn't actually originate with us. And again, if you're a guest with us today, you just get a sneak peek into what it looks like for us to be a generous community. But did you know that the idea of giving sacrificially actually started with God? In that same book, the book of John, in chapter 3, it says this, that God loved you so much that notice what he did. He gave. 
He gave his only son so that anyone who believes in him would never have to die but could experience eternal life. Why do we give generously and sacrificially? Because those of us who are part of this community who are followers of Jesus, we realize that we serve a God who gave first. Because God loves you. If you're brand new, please, you can tune the rest of it out. Hear this. God loves you. He loves you so much that he left heaven and came to earth in Jesus Christ and he gave his life to pay the penalty for the things that had separated you from God so that you could be forgiven, have a relationship with God, not like a distant dad, but like a personal, loving Heavenly Father. That's what love does. It sacrifices and it gives. And if you're here today and you've never entered into a personal relationship with God, where you would say, you know what, God's not some distant deity. He's, he's real and he wants to have a relationship with me. Where you've never experienced God's unconditional forgiveness and love. I want to give you a chance to, to start a relationship with God like that today to commit your life to him, to pray a prayer that says, God, I want to be in that relationship with you. I want to partner with you in this life. And then allow God to guide you. This is just the beginning of a great journey God has planned for you. And if you're ready to make that decision today, it's the best decision you could ever make. We're going to pray right now, and I'm going to lead you through a prayer of commitment to God where you could say yes to God. So would you join me? Let's close our eyes and let's pray. And if you're ready to make that decision, I want to tell you it's the best decision you could ever make with your life, and it will change not only your life in this world, but it will change eternity for you. If you're ready to make that decision, just repeat this simple prayer. Say it where you're sitting, or you can just say it in your head and just mean it with everything in you. Say, Lord Jesus, I believe that you love me and that you gave your life to pay for my sin. And I want to have a relationship with you. So would you come into my life? Would you forgive me of my sin? Would you fill me with your Holy Spirit? And would you show me what it looks like to partner with you every day from this day forward, even as I walk into eternity. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information, at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.